thank you for listening to this message brought to you by Living Word Church. We trust that as you hear the Word of God preached, you'll be encouraged and equipped to love God and do His will. If you're looking for a church home, please feel free to visit our Sunday morning worship service at 10 a.m. or visit our website at www.livingwordchurch.cc. And now for our message.
they matter. People are watching. They are. And I told you guys just, just some weeks ago about how much I watched fathers in this place. Because I did not have one at home. I did not get a chance to see what it looked like. So I watched individuals in this very space because when we first came to live in Word, my wife was pregnant with our first. When we first showed up as visitors here, I mean, we were probably eight months, seven months pregnant. I don't remember, as you guys know, me and dates don't work very well. You know the nerves that I had as a new father? Knowing, oh my goodness, what if I get it all wrong? I mean, I know how my mom did things, and she did them pretty well. I think I turned out pretty good. But what is my role in this? And I watched men in this very place. I got to know them first through their kids, through youth group. But watching, not saying I'm watching, just watching. And it matters. Now my daughter's 10. And I'm like, thank you that I had these men who are living a life worthy of the calling that I could watch and model my own parenting after. Please understand your actions matter, church. That the beauty of the body of Christ is that where I may be deficient, there is somebody who's proficient, and if I watch long enough, I'll catch up. So Paul is urging, it's so important that we live a life that matters, that we take our faith seriously, that our walk is taken seriously. I tell this to our kids and youth group all the time. It's so, so vitally important. that we live in such a way that reflects Christ. That whether we, as the saying goes, that we are preaching the gospel every day, and when necessary, we use words, that our lives are lived, informed, and completely in connection to gospel of Jesus Christ. So it says, I urge you then to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And we all said we have made a decision for Christ. We have received that calling to live according to the way Jesus lives. And then it gives us some instructions. And it says, if we are going to be the kind of place that is attractive to the people who are looking desperately looking for hope, then there needs to be this united body. There needs to be this unity that happens among God's people. And he says, in order for this to happen, one, he says, we must be completely humble. Humility is a difficult thing. Because we are taught often, at least I know I was, that I am the captain of my ship. 
I am the master of my domain. That if anything is going to happen in my life, it is because I will pick myself up and I will do. Pride always starts with I. And he's saying that we can't be about ourselves. And sometimes the church even, and I I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but I just want to speak this truth plainly. Sometimes the church becomes more about me than it does become about him. I don't like that song. I don't like what the pastor said. I, I, I. And Paul is saying, it's not about you. That the purpose of the church is to be unified under him. That our own personal agendas get put aside so that he gets center stage. So we then are completely humbled before the Lord. God, if there is any way in me that is trying to take credit for somewhere that credit's not due, then God, allow me to step aside so that you would get all the glory and honor. That is completely humble. It doesn't say partially humble. He says to be completely humble. A unified church is a church full of us's, not a church full of me's. We together. I put my needs aside for the betterment of you. Be completely humble. unified church is a church of folks who can put their pride down for the sake of the group. Here's the awesome thing is we don't have to take my word for it, but Jesus was an amazing example of that. Philippians 2.8. Some of you have probably memorized it. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Humbled himself by becoming obedient to death even death on a cross. The only person that didn't have to be saved by his death was Jesus. The one who died was the only one that didn't need to die that death. Yet he put his own self aside, his his divinity, he, he put all that to the side to allow himself to become obedient to death. Because guess what? Unless he allowed death to take him, it could not. But he said, for the sake of those who will who have existed before and who will come after. This is the plan of salvation that I provide a way, and I'm going to be completely humble. I'm going to put myself aside so that I could do this for them. Because my love is that lavish that I would even give up my very life. But it says to not only be completely humble, but then it says, and gentle. Now, we got to be very clear about the wording here because this is not or. This is not an either or proposition. It says, I want you to be completely humble and gentle. Now, please, let's not get the understanding of gentle wrong because as I've studied this and looked at this, this idea of, of gentleness is not weakness. 
I'll give you uh, a story. So some of you may know that I used to work on a ranch. If you know the boy from the west side of Chicago used to work on a ranch? Yeah. Tell God what you're not going to do, and I bet you he'll show you. But I used to work on a working ranch. It was a juvenile correctional facility in Wisconsin, but it was also a working ranch. And the guys would work with the horses, and we had horses and goats and all these things. And and each weekend, a different unit would have to care for the horses, get the hay out and clean the pens and get their all That's been a long time ago. Anyways, but we used the horses. The purpose of the horses was for equine therapy. If you don't know what equine therapy is, they use the horses to help the students. And so they would do this exercise. It's my favorite exercise they would do. They do a number of different things with the horse, but one of the favorite, my favorite things they would do is, now a horse is a huge animal. Anybody been close to horses? I mean, they are a powerful animal. You know, they, I mean, I'm not a light guy, and I jump on one, and they don't even think twice. It's almost like, is somebody on me? What's going on? So they would do this exercise where they would set up this little obstacle course, in the, we had a riding arena, like a, an indoor corral thing, and they would set up this course, and a student who has just come, now we're talking about gangbanging, we're talking about hard in all kind of ways, committed some major crime, felony, I and mean, we're talking about 15, 16, 17-year-old kids who have been out of their home for three or four years already because of their actions. And they would bring these angry, hardened kids in, and they would stand them in front of this big old huge horse, and they would be like, okay, your goal is to get this horse through the maze. Now, it's not riding on the horse. All they have to do, there's the, you know, they take the halter, or they can whatever, but they just have to get the horse through the maze. And the first thing you do when you're new to a horse and they give you a goal and you are, I mean, you're master of your own domain, right, is you start pulling, pushing, throwing the shoulder into the side of the horse, and this horse doesn't move. Because the power of that horse is he really doesn't have to do anything. And so they talk about this, and they talk about how this doesn't work. I mean, this has been these kids' lives, trying to use force to get what they want, going any means necessary except for the right means. And so then they learn about this crazy thing called relationship. So they're taught to brush the horse's mane and their hair, how to talk to the horse. They do just a bunch of different activities where they're actually building relationship with the horse. And in about three or four weeks' time, they go right back to the same exercise. And the amazing thing is, these horses are so smart, is that they can then lead that horse through that same exact maze and don't even have to touch it. They walk up to it, put their noses on them, or they speak, whatever they've come. And that horse puts his nose right on their shoulder. And all they have to do is just walk. And it will follow them wherever. Is that horse still a powerful, strong beast? Yes. But its gentleness comes as a result of its relationship. It is able to harness that power and maintain it and keep it at bay when it needs to be at bay and uses it when it needs to use it but it can be gentle whenever it is in right relationship with its rider. Now, there are people who use force to get horses to do things, and we're going to talk about that. 
but we're talking about this this idea of gentleness, is that you can put your strengths aside to benefit the body. Do I deserve to be right? Yes, you deserve to be right. Do I need to be right every time? No. My answer is going to be gentle. I mean, these are, this is for the church. This is also for our marriages. Complete humility will help in a marriage. Gentleness, I don't think there's any wife that will say, husband, I don't want you to be gentle. Just tell me like you mean it. No. Truth and love. We have to become good at being completely gentle. This helps create unity because when we get those who are prideful, when it's all about me, and then they have to make their voices heard just in the harshest way possible because I deserve to be heard because I have done this, 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 or this, always I, 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 it creates division. It creates a place where people don't feel safe. Matthew 11, 28, 29. Some of you know it well. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Then it says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says it right there. Learn from me. Learn of my humbleness and my gentleness, because if you can put those two together in equal measure, you will find rest. Even for the person with the hardest heart who who always has to put their, their push in everything, you yourself will find rest for your own soul if that's you by embracing this idea of gentleness and humility. Let's keep going. Be patient. If you're like me, patience comes easy when you're in a boat by yourself fishing. But this patience is not the patience that you take doing the thing that you love by yourself. This is the patience that comes with others. Not gonna say a whole lot on on this because the reality is just simple. We must be patient with one another. Allow me to learn. There's something you're saying, well, I need it Now, well, maybe I can't produce it right now, but if you allow me the time to to learn or to become more proficient, I will get better. And then, right, this idea of just being patient with one another. Can we embrace this as a church? I'm going to choose to not be easily irritated for the sake of being united. For the sake of unity. I'm going to allow grace in everything as it relates to the body of Christ. I want to bear with one another in love. Now, this is parenting one-on-one. So any new parents or potential parents, this is my one area of teaching for you. But bearing with one another in love. How many of you parents, you have been through this 
experience where your kids fight, right? And what do you say as a good parent? Go tell your brother or your sister you're sorry, right? And we know. So if I come to Neil and I say, my mom just told me to tell him I'm sorry, you know what we do. Sorry. (laughs) Now, any good parent is going to realize how phony that is. And we're going to say, tell them like you mean it, right? Sorry. And then if you're like us, my wife in particular, she's going to say, now hug it out. Right? It's okay. okay. (laughs) Bearing with one another in love is not just bearing with one another because, uh, I'm in this church and I'm supposed to love you, so... No, there has to be actual love. Now, please understand, the love that happens in the, among the body of Christ is the same way it happens anywhere else, is relationship matters. If you want to bear with one another in love, get to know people. If you have an ought with somebody, and nine times out of ten, we have an ought with someone we don't even know. But from across the room, they did this or said that. Or I heard this. Church, let us love one another so that we can bear with one another. We know when it's real and when it's fake, just like I know when my kids are saying saying real and fake. Tell your sister you love her. (laughs) And the awesome thing is that Paul, he started with, who you are in Christ for those first three chapters. So by the time you get to to chapter four, he's like, it's almost just like parenting. This is your sister. And as your sister and as your brother, you are going to, I mean, we've all done those lectures with our kids. You're going to treat them differently because that is your brother, sister. And Jesus is saying, I am the father. These are your brothers and sisters. You must love them. You must bear with one another. You are bringing all kinds of stuff in from the week. And then we come together, particularly on a Sunday morning, but other days of the week, we come together and we're bringing our different things with us. And he's saying, bear with one another in love. Because you don't know what that week has been like. As Neil was able to come up and say, with the week that I've had, I've needed this worship. With the week you've had, you need brothers and sisters that are going to rally around you, that are going to pray for you. Even just the simple thing of asking if you need prayer matters. Let us love one another. Let us bear with one another in love. And then it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Because there is one. There is one body, one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And the end of this whole thing is simply this. A unified body reflects the Father. John 17 Verses 20 and 21. 
often looked at called the high priestly prayer. Jesus prayed. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If we are going to be a place where the world sees Christ, where the world experiences Christ, where the world sees that Jesus Christ is indeed on his throne and in charge, then there needs to be a body of people who are united together. We're not bickering and arguing and fighting, but are being completely humble, are being patient, are bearing with one another, are bringing gentleness to the table, and people will come in and see something about a church that reflects Christ, and they will be drawn to that light like a moth to a flame. That is our calling. That is our urging by Paul. That was his urging to the church in Ephesus. Is your unity is going to be key. It's going to be vital. He started, when he talks about his application of who they are in Christ, the first thing he comes to in, in chapter 4 is unity. If all of these things of the gospel are true, then we have to be united. That is going to be a big part of our witness. So church, my prayer for us is that we would indeed become one as Christ and his Father are one. There's no greater way to display this than to take communion together. And so we're going to have our ushers are going to come, and we are going to, together, eat from the same table. We are going to, together, in, 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 a, in a visual way, say and show to whom we do indeed belong. Our scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that we are to examine our hearts, I want, as they go, you guys would go ahead and, and start passing out the elements. As they are passing out the elements, that if you struggle with humility or gentleness or patience or, or forbearance or this idea of bearing with one another, that this might be just that time as you bow your head, as you receive your element, to say, Lord God, I repent of that. God, I don't want to be that way. I want to best reflect you. I want to be completely humble, completely gentle. I know I'm not always patient, but God, I want to be patient. I know it's hard for me to bear with one another, but God, I, I want to do a better job of bearing with one another, God. Just take a moment. Just pray. Our God in heaven hears us and he cares.
1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's a really an interesting um, passage if you start at verse 17. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I originally was, but for the sake of time, I'm not. But it's this interesting, uh, in verses 17 through 22, before Paul leads um, the folks in communion and what it is, he admonishes them, the church in Corinth. Because there's this celebration that they usually have before they would take communion, this kind of feast celebration. And he actually had to admonish them because instead of them being unified in that time, they would kind of go off and the haves would have a lot and the have-nots would have none. And he was saying, and then you expect me to kind of praise you for this? He was like, this is horrible. Absolutely not. And then he says, for what I receive from the Lord, I pass on to you. And, and it is this idea of, of unity amongst the body. That when we, when we take communion together, there is no haves and have-nots. There isn't rich or poor, or slave or free, or, 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 or black and white. Or We, together, as children of God, are very equal in this moment. And so he says, from what I've learned, I'm passing on to you. And it says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So let's take bread together. And he said, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you call us to unity with a purpose. God, this isn't unity for a kumbaya circle so we could sing around a fire and feel good about ourselves. No, this is unity that will draw people to you. Unity that, that shares your heart in a very visible way. God, that the church would become unified. God, not only this church, but God, that all of the churches that come under the banner of your name would find unity, Lord God. So God, I pray. I pray for the other churches in Lansing right now in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that the gospel is going forth in those places powerfully. That impact is being made on lives, Lord God. It's not just about us here, God, but we're a part of a bigger world, a bigger body of believers all over this world that are proclaiming your gospel. God, unite us. God, that in our unity, folks who are lost and are hurting will find help and healing. God, make us a place where the broken and the disenfranchised and the hurting 
feel safe. God, that there will be love that is abundant in this place. Lord God, that just makes, when, when no matter what people are going through, Lord God, it makes it okay because there's other people who are willing to walk with them. God, don't allow Paul's words to be lost on us. But God, I pray that we would be united. Just as you and your father are united, God, that we too would be united. God, you pray those words for us. God, allow us to be the manifestation of those prayers. God, I thank you. I thank you for my brothers and sisters that are in this place, God. I thank you for all the various differences that we bring, Lord God. I thank you for the diversity of the body, God, and we take nothing away from any of that. God, we pray that we're able to bring all of those different, wonderful, beautiful elements together, God, and use them for your glory and for your honor and for your praise. Now, God, I just pray that somewhere in all of those words, Lord God, you would have spoken clearly to our hearts. We pray these things in your precious and amazing name. Thank you.